we go. And welcome. Unless the Empire State Building, but I bet you could do that in chunks. Yeah, uh, it's like the old saying goes, how does an ant eat an elephant? How One bite at a time. Slowly. And welcome <laughs> to the Downerfront Podcast, the official podcast of <laughs> downerfrontpodcast.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for joining. And I would say welcome back and thank you everybody who's been patiently waiting for our return. We took a bit of a summer break, a little bit, had a bit of a vacation. But we are back all the way until probably winter break. We're not entirely sure. Uh, I'm excited. I hope that you're excited. Tonight, we are going to be giving you a full edition, a full episode of Stranger Things 3. Super excited. This actually dropped in the summer, which some people had a couple of uh, of concerns with because usually it comes out in the actual fall around the actual you know holiday of Halloween. But before we get into that and before I digress anymore, I'm going to introduce our surrounding cast that we talked about what we're drinking tonight along with whatever sort of movies, if we have any other shout outs or anything else we all. So I'm going to toss it over to one of my best friends. We grew up together. Um, I love this guy as if he's a brother, but he's my cousin. I know that's weird. Uh, Bryland, what's going on, man? Beautiful Bryland. What you sipping on tonight? Man? What else do you have? Hello, cousin Warren. What's up? <laughs> Hanging out. That's good. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, I am currently sipping on my usual classic uh, Gatorade. Ah, oh, damn. I thought the gentleman Jack. I'm like, yes. Oh, no. No, I got some whiskey plans, but they haven't been uh, fully fully delivered yet so i'm waiting to get all that taken care of uh but uh what i've been watching recently is i checked out this little uh comedy series on hbo recently uh called los espookies and Mm -hmm. this is a really neat show because uh it's co-created by fred armanson um from portlandia and saturday night live but also like the main creative forces behind it are two people. One is Julio Torres, who's a uh, writer on SNL right now. And he just released his first stand-up on HBO this past weekend called My Favorite Shapes. And also Ana Fabriga. And this is a really neat and I'd say like lighthearted, uh, whimsical show. Very much similar type of uh, humor that Portlandia would have, where it's like you might find some of the jokes really funny and everything, but you might find some of the jokes or the setups just so absurd or so abstract that you're like, you know, it might, it's probably making somebody laugh, but it's goofy enough just to still be entertained by it as well. And I found that this was like a nice first season. It's good to hear that they are actually coming back for a second season. I like that they do some, uh, I like that everything's in Spanish for the first uh, for the most part, and yeah. that they do some like very whimsical things, like when anybody's speaking in Spanish, uh, you see English subtitles, but when someone's speaking in English subtitles, you see Spanish, or speaking in English, you see Spanish subtitles. <laughs> so that's just like a neat little like uh, twist on the old uh, formula of uh, just visual humor as well as uh, the story that's playing out. But uh, it's basically about like a group of friends that do like monster movie effects and all these wayward jobs that they uh, get into. And I think all the character uh, actors are very solid and everything, but I think Anna Fabriga is probably the standout character of that. She's basically just takes every, whatever odd job is out there and she commits to it. 
And a lot of people think of her as like this dim-witted type of character, but she's actually quite a, she's kind of like Phoebe from Friends, where you think she's kind of dumb, but she also, she's always pulled off these weird, crazy, miraculous things, or people are obsessing over her that have no reason to obsess over. So it's a fun little show. It's only about six episodes. They're 30 minutes each. So I definitely worth uh, recommend checking it out as well. And that's on uh, HBO, right? It's on HBO as well. Got it. And I would just say one quick last shout out is right now I'm watching Wu Assassins about halfway through. I would say that it's probably a show not for everybody, but if you like Eco EYs from uh, The Raid and The Raid 2 and you just want to see them kick ass, definitely a show you should watch. Nice. Well, uh, beautiful, Brylon. Great as always to uh, have you on and see your face again. So thanks for uh, hanging out and holding it down for my absence. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll toss it over to this other guy who we just met today, but he seems pretty cool. And I guess he knows sort of how to play the guitar. Mr. Blewett. I guess that's a new name for you. Mr. Blewett, what's going on, man? What you sipping on tonight? What else you got for us? I'm so glad you're calling me Mr. Finally. Um, so I am sipping on good old H2O. Uh, it's pretty solid stuff. Uh, you know, the town water is okay. Um as far as what I've been watching, uh, what is it? The Great Hack on Netflix. Um, most of the way through that, I, you know, spoiler alert, I haven't hit the last like 20 minutes, but that's fine. Um, I don't think there's anything revelating uh, in that. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a documentary that follows the Cambridge Analytica leaks and how they influence both Brexit and the Donald Trump campaign. Um, it's really interesting stuff uh, on how kind of like data collection and data analysis and how it can be used. I don't think it's like super groundbreaking as far as like psychology goes, you know, it's basically show people minute things to subtly change them over time to Mm -hmm. achieve a greater effect. But it's, it is, it's also something that if you think about like, just don't put stuff online, you know, and there's other things where I think the big thing they showed light on was that the, um, you know, even for things you didn't put online, if your friends did, you could still get act. They could still get access to you. That was kind of the biggest revelation. But it was kind of cool to see it collated all together. Really interesting uh, documentary. Um, definitely check yeah. it out if you get the chance. It's amazing when you take one of those quizzes saying which Harry Potter character are you, and it turns out like that plans out how you're going to vote for the next five years or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's silly <laughs> stuff like that. That you yeah, know. that's because Gryffindors vote liberal. <laughs> yeah, those dirty Gryffindors. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, I guess that's correct. I mean, Gryffindors were definitely the quote unquote good guys, which is kind of BS. Yeah. So, my favorite need to thing, be a bad Gryffindor sometimes. Soon. My favorite thing that I, I kind of like, and I, I, I love how American it is, is that at one point they're talking about how um, essentially most people don't matter. It's just a small, it's like a super yeah. minority, if you will. Like it's like 20% of the population, they go out and they just target those people. And they're like, all right, this tiny little percentage is literally the tipping point between, you know, certain counties going which ways. And so they literally don't care about most of the the country or, you know, whatever region they're in. It's just like, let's uh, like find the people that statistically speaking are unsure and just influence them. And that's kind of, that's cool. That is really neat. 
Yeah. So if you're like a diehard liberal or a diehard Republican, you're probably not getting anything too groundbreaking there. Um, and you're probably not getting shifted, uh, you know, the other way. I would say as a diehard Republican, I guess good, good to know. Yeah, I think I think I could speak for all, all of us that we're all voting Trump 2020. <laughs> you Sorry. couldn't even get the joke out. <laughs> you like, no way. <laughs> uh, before this get too political, Mr. Yeah, Blue. I know, I know. We're going to just eliminate, like, they do a good job keeping it nonpartisan, though. Uh, okay. So for folks that legitimately are, like, right-leaning, um, don't, you know, this isn't like a, this isn't like a hit job on the Republican Party or the Brexit Party. This is, like, strictly business. It's like the front side of a mullet. Okay. I was like, I feel like there's a joke there, but nobody said anything. So, okay. Well, Mr. Blue, it is always is great to have you on, and uh, it's great to see your face. Thank you. Uh, I have my best friend that we have finally had a chance to review in person since you said Spider-Man, but... I think the last time we did a whole group recording was Homecoming. Mm. Not a partially in person recording. So it was Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that should have been the Beyonce documentary. No, we still haven't reviewed that. It's the last call. That is good. That would be a great last call. Uh, the delicious Mocha. Mocha, what's going on, man? A, it's great to have you here in person, so thanks for dropping by the studio. Uh, what you've been sipping on and what else you got for me? And I see you also have a bit of a shout-out, so I'll also elect you to share. Hey, yo, what up, everybody? Uh, it's great to be back recording with you all. It's even better to be back in Boston on location, which is where I am right now for anybody, any listeners at home who are interested. Um, I'm out here for a few days and it lined up pretty nicely. So I'm glad we get to, uh, to hang out in person and talk about Stranger Things. As for what I've been drinking, or at least at the very moment, I'm drinking what was requested of Warren to be a homemade vodka soda. But I'm pretty sure it's just a bubble of uh, water that he put a straw in and blew bubbles into. I don't know if I could taste any vodka. So it's a quote-unquote vodka soda <laughs> that I'm sitting on. And as for what I've been watching, I'm actually nearly done with a really sudden binge fest of The Boys, uh, the Amazon uh, original series, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel. Um, about superheroes and a pretty dark take on on those superheroes themselves and i had been excited to watch this but didn't get around to it and now i'm kicking myself for not getting around to it sooner because it is is so dope it's eight episodes long i blew through the first six episodes in an irresponsible amount of time and i've just been loving every minute of it it's super like super gory like to a point where it's it's almost like played for comedy um and every episode so far has an intense sex scene or at least something that's overtly sexual about it, which I thought was like a really interesting t- uh, choice for Amazon to take for uh, you know original content on their end. But uh, it kind of adds to the, the shtick of the of the show as a whole. Um, but I'm liking it a lot, and I definitely recommend people to watch it. As far as I can tell so far, and I haven't finished it, but as far as I can tell, it's actually less of a sh- show about superheroes gone bad and more of a show that's just like a social commentary about capitalism as a whole. Um, which I wasn't expecting at all. So I'm really, really interested in seeing how they wrap up this season and where they leave off or what could come next. 
Yeah, I probably started watching the first three, maybe four episodes, and it. I was surprised because I, although I don't watch trailers, I do watch a lot of Amazon work, and the like promos look pretty, pretty terrible. I think for it, and it made it seem like a bit of a jokey kind of show. Um, and I need, I just kind of was like, I'm not sure if I actually like it. So I kind of gave it a shot and I said like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I'm, you know, I'm just going to go lay down and kind of watch this. And first time I sat down and watched, it was like three, four episodes in. I'm like, Oh, this is actually pretty solid. And it definitely had a bit of a feel of uh, kind of like the tick plus Watchmen. Uh, if that's kind of two shows you can kind of bring together. So um, that's a pretty accurate combination description. I feel like, and yeah. it's not something that I ever would have like put together like on my own, like, in no timeline would I ever had said the tick meets the Watchman would be a good show. Yeah, it's, and it's it should great. be an Amazon original. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty good. So, um, one of the things I really love about the boys is just the actors in it. And there's an actor in there that I think takes the cake, and that's the actor for Homelander. I think what he does with that character far exceeds what that character is supposed to be. So, um, yeah, that's a actually definitely a better show than what I thought it would be. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say, uh, Mocha, it's great to have you on and see your face. I'm super excited to hang out this week and hopefully catch some shows or watch a couple of movies. So I'm pretty pumped about that. Yeah. Uh, and my name is Warren. I will be your host this evening. I am currently sipping on a Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, because we try to get fancy when Mocha comes in town. Uh, and what I've been watching, I watch a couple different things. I've been watching a lot of stuff. I just tr- I recently uh, started Downton Abbey for the first time. So all you Downton fans... I guess uh, the Doubtners, I don't know what it's called. Uh, we'll be able to chat soon. Um, but I went to watch a movie that was kind of difficult to see. I think it was only playing in Assembly Road downtown in Framingham, which is weird. Um, but it's called The Farewell, starring sort of Aquafina. Have you guys heard of this movie? I saw oh, it. yeah. yeah I heard it's heard really good. You, you, we all watched the movie? No, I didn't no, see I it. seen it. I just heard oh, really man. good things about it. I hear it's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I enjoyed the movie. I was de- definitely going into it skeptical because I just didn't like any of Aquafina's work at all, really, before this. But it was nice to see her in a, in a different, not so uh, in-your-face comedic role. And it definitely kind of, t- it was definitely a little bit more lighter. Like, I think it was a comedy, but it was a drama. I don't mm-hmm. know. If- yeah, it was like a sad comedy. Yeah. A lamedy? A lamedy. Where does the L come from? I don't know. <laughs> lazy comedy <laughs> yeah there you go um but i thought it was, I, th- I actually kind of enjoyed it a lot there's i don't think it's a perfect movie i had like some uh, about it but there was one scene in the movie that were in the particular graveyard that i thought was absolutely amazing great storytelling great visuals i think it was just great how it actually the importance of that particular scene so um definitely would go recommend a check out the farewell it was uh, kind of pretty cool uh, and then I do want to give a bit of a shout out to Mr. Ricky Granderson for hanging out with uh, us last weekend when he was in town and introducing everybody to watch A Long Kiss Goodnight. Have you guys seen that movie? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, Brian. It's so, the movie's so good. It holds up. It holds up. It's like a stereotypical 90s movie for sure. That movie was reviled when it came out. Oh, it was so Isn't good. Isn't that a James Bond movie? No, no, no. No, it's, it's, Gina, it's Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson. It's like the oddest Written by pairing. Shane Black. Written by right? Shane Black. 
great. And it's like a goo. It's a goofy. It's that goofy uh, buddy cop movie that Shane Black loves to make. Yeah, you can picture the With nice a lot guys. Of gore in it, if I remember it, it's oddly enough you can picture the nice guys, but lower budget. Uh, yeah, it's kind of right? apt because uh, Samuel Jackson was pretty on fire at that time. So, um, I don't know, but. So thanks, Ricky, for uh, introducing everybody to Long Kiss Goodnight. I, me and him were sitting quoting the movie because I've watched that movie so many times. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, so it's great. That and the Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Train. Uh, so we're pumped. We're excited as always. Uh, we are going to move into our spoiler section. So if you have not seen Stranger Things 3, 1 or 2, what's wrong with you? Come on. Definitely go check out the show. We're going to take a bit of a break, and we'll see you soon for a full spoiler edition of Stranger Things 3. Yes. back and we have a down to front podcast we are in our spoiler section for uh, stranger things season three so if you have not seen season one or two come on i know some people out there some mouth breather says that season two is terrible they don't know what they're talking about we're going to be getting to everything that we can about season three uh so what we're going to be usually doing is going to open up into a couple of different sections our first section will talk about overall general thoughts of the actual season We'll break down some more specifics and talk about characters and acting. And then I definitely want to ask everybody what's one MVP of the actual season so far, not the series, just the season. Uh, then we'll break into talking about like some more future predictions, some things that we would have liked to see in this particular season and what we hope to look for next. So as always, I will toss it over to the beautiful Brylin. It says, Brylin, let's open it up and talk to me about like the overall show, if you enjoyed it, and then some more specifics for the characters and acting. Yeah, uh, so this season of Stranger Things Season 3, I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, I think one reason why I'm so high on this uh, season is that I found Season 2 to be a huge disappointment compared to the first season. Like, the first season came out of the blue from nowhere and gave us this really cool mix of Goonies meets an 80s horror film, and it was a lot of fun. And then season two felt like, I guess, got too bogged down into its own mythology. And we got, it took a lot of the fun nostalgia away from the movie or the show. And we were stuck in like some very stagnant, isolated areas for a long time uh, in terms of scenery. And we didn't really get much growth or we had our characters go into weird ways, like especially like season two Hopper. I felt that he just was too overall cruel compared to where he was in the first season uh and that's why i love like especially when we see hopper for the first time in season three is that he's uh yeah he's definitely a hard like hard knock life type of guy like he's 
chain smoking like nobody's business. He's uh, he's the sheriff. He's drinking heavily when things are working out for him, and he wants. But I mean, it also shows that he cares. He's a very flawed individual and everything, but he definitely cares about protecting Eleven uh, at all costs. And I just love that he decide he sets up these rules that he's probably always heard parents talk about setting up rules. So he thinks he's doing the right thing, like three inches in the door. <laughs> Don't close that door. Um, so I thought it was good to see like that sternness, but they were actually having a lot of fun with it too, which was really cool. Yeah. And I love, Oh yeah, go ahead. Mocha. No, I was going to say, like, I really feel like this, this uh, season, like, Hopper just went like super crazy in the beginning. Like he was way, <laughs> way, way intense. Like even towards the end, actually just constantly screaming. And it was hilarious. Like I actually thought it made him a funnier character as a whole. Uh, yeah. Cause it just made everything more absurd, but it, it definitely was like a, a change from, from where he, he'd been in previous seasons. You know, I, I have to agree. Like I love the over top, over the topness. It, it, it was like this absurdist uh, kind of comedy at some points. Um, this is killing me, but I hope I hope he's actually dead. I mean, the the end credit scene was definitely. Oh yes, but we're in the spoiler section. Um, I like the end credit scene made it sound like the Russians got him and they were holding him hostage and all this fun stuff. But I, I it felt like a swan song, you know, like he had he was like the lunatic. He was like the crazy parent. He was like the non. He couldn't admit his feelings towards uh, Winona Ryder's character. And at the end, he kind of culminated and and accepted, you know, he had that beautiful note to Eleven and he kind of accepted that, oh, maybe we should go grab dinner sometime, like a date date. Um, you know, he had the, the classic, you know, Steve Rogers line where he, he laid down his life for the people that he loves. You know, he was very selfless at the end there. Um, he had that shirt. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing def- shirt, amazing <laughs> shirt, amazing yeah, shirt. Okay. Yes, and that shirt has been ha- sold out for like the last <laughs> two months. It's crazy. It makes sense. But no, uh, Brad, uh, I was just surprised, blood. Like the that's just a hot take that I hadn't quite heard that before. But I'll let you continue. Oh yeah, no, I was gonna say I, I hope he's done. He, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he was. He was. It was such a. It was shocking. Like I'm, I mean, he's what maybe the third biggest character on it, yeah. fourth uh, biggest. Yeah. Probably second, second biggest. I'd, I'd say second, second for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's up there. Just like he's he's up there, and like for a show that is so clearly has not just maybe one more season, but like realistically probably two or three mm-hmm. to kill that caliber of a character off that early, it was kind of a ballsy decision. And also, I like it. I mean, I didn't see that one coming at all. Like when he got stuck, I was like, well, how are they going to write him out of this one? And it's like, no, no, no. He's just he's just dead. Like that's. Yeah. That was that was awesome. I think it's an yep. incredibly, incredibly ballsy move. Just looking at some, you know, big deaths. Really, I know Barb from season one would was probably one of the largest deaths anybody else can think of. Uh, I wouldn't call her death that large. Bob yeah, Newby is probably a larger death. Yeah, cool. no, Sean Aston. One specifically. Oh, season one. See, just yeah. season, just well, season she one. was also the only death in season one, right? Right. Well, no, no, no. There was. Oh yeah, I guess I was the only person that died in season one. Yeah, oh, because the the whole thing was like Will. I mean, in season yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Will was so lost, like, but like, but like never Barbara died. Got straight up murdered. <laughs> well, I mean, no, not true. Okay, so there was a bunch of those guards in the beginning that died. That doesn't really. Oh uh, yeah. And then good. also Pressure the dude. Oh, you know who actually really loved in season one was the guy who like rescued Eleven, was feeding her, and straight up got like shot and killed. 
in the restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the restaurant oh, yeah. owner. He was the great. Cap- the diner guy. Yeah. Uh, so there's multiple people that died, but from the, uh, I think the biggest one that we really cared about was Barb. So the reason kind of I was talking about this is I think it's a ballsy move, but I like where they're going because we first got Barb and a couple other side characters that we sort of cared about. Then season two, we got Bob, who was great. I think absolutely great of, oh, they're just kind of raising the stakes. Now the only way they can go up from here is killing off not one, but two really central characters, especially in season three with Billy and Hopper, if both of them are dead. Um, that's great. I, I definitely would enjoy it. I'd be bummed because I really like David Harbour in this role. Like I've seen him in Hellboy. And, oh. So I'm really <laughs> nice. I'm excited for him to kind of stay and kind of keep it, especially because I feel like we have to have some like positive father figure in this show. Um, the closest one is Steve. Steve, yeah. yeah, right? oh, yeah. But he's the greatest father. Not, yeah, but he's not a father. Even Nancy's father and Nancy and um, Mike's father is like... Dude doesn't care about anything. Dude's the most useless. He had that hilarious line. He's a paperweight. Yeah, Yeah. but I love how they play it up. This season, (laughs) like it wasn't. He wasn't that much of a lump in previous seasons. He at least like talked to his children. (laughs) (laughs) No, but they play that up. Like I love the line with like everyone's got someone for them, I guess. And then he like grabs his wife, who was previously gonna go cheat on him's shoulders. Like, oh, that's perfect. (laughs) I was I was surprised that they killed Billy. Not that it was so much unexpected, because I like I once he got taken over by the mind flare, I was like, okay, I can definitely see this ending with him dying. Um, but I was surprised that they had went that route this character before giving us more direct uh, of an idea on like who he was as a person. Mm-hmm. In season two, we just got him as being like the uh, the not so subtly racist bully of the cast. And we never really got too much more clarification on who he was as a person after that. And this season, we started to with with Eleven journeying into his minds and seeing those core memories. Uh, but like, but still, I feel like there, there could have been a lot more done with his character before he he got played. Yeah, it's a bummer because uh, just like you said, I was hoping to get more out of him. I mean, I actually enjoy him as an actor. Even the newer Power Rangers Dr. show, Montgomery. I thought he was pretty solid about it. Um, mm. No, I was you gonna know, say Dr. Cameron. If you can't tell just by looking at him, he's Australian. Yes, I mean, like, I've now I've, I've, I've now heard him like speak. Now, like, oh man, it's great. But I just love him as an. I think he definitely brought the campiness, the eightiness, and definitely brought a bit of a kind of an edge and just brought like the genre that we're in. So I thought it was just great, especially him in his car and just all his entire character introduction in season two was hilarious. And it definitely seemed like it was hinting at something deeper there, but we're not entirely sure. I thought it had something to do with him being homosexual, but I wasn't sure. And so it felt like it was kind of weird with them bringing things up in season two. And now season three, we see that, you know, coming from an abusive family and how the introduction to his sister, Mac, and like, I, I felt was a kind of a bummer. But at the same time, it, we have this character art that's a kind of a hero. And I, I felt like it's, this is the right time for them to get out. Yeah, I, I felt like it was it was totally the 80s bullies trope, like to, to the T, yeah. broken home, abusive dad, 
you know, muscled out trying to prove something. Like there was that character we've seen a million times. No, Nelson Simpsons. Yeah, the, like yeah, mystery. yeah. The the fact that they are able to do something with that character kind of speaks volumes to how they construct the show. Um, but for me, that arc was kind of like the standard arc that was done well. But I don't think they need to re- further revisit it. Yeah, but I mean that that's one of those nice things about like how they are revisiting the 80s with this show is that yeah they do have the nostalgia trips that kind of like remember especially like someone like me is like oh yeah the mall was definitely the center place of just social living for young kids back in the 80s and everything that we that's where you hung out after school and that's where you met up with your friends and you go to the food court and you go to the video the arcade you might have an ice rink in your mall it because they were malls back then had a little bit of everything in them and uh it's really cool that they use a shopping a new shopping mall as the um as the focal point of what this uh season is and it's really interesting that they even take the points to talk about oh this brand new big shopping mall is also uh is also hurting the small town businesses and you're starting to see a lot of businesses get boarded up and you have the politicians that have actually kind of force the shopping mall into play that we find that surprise it's actually was built by the Russians to hide a super <laughs> secret lab base underneath it. But I mean, it also actually has some really cool, like earnest storytelling about like, I mean, pay carry always a bag full of money and then he's going to get a shopping mall built and there's nothing you can do about him. Sorry. Um, I hope that for a stranger things for, it takes place entirely in a Walmart, and it's about like Walmart pushing out all the small town shopping like malls, <laughs> pushing out all the shopping malls. <laughs> but um, one thing I loved about this is that there's a lot of relationships that are happening here that kind of remind me of what it was like growing up in the '80s. Like, I mean, we talk about like. There's a lot of humor to see and probably like Billy walk out of the swimming pool and like all the older ladies falling over him and they're saying things like, oh, it's three o'clock. It's that time. And that's like uh, harkens back to the old Diet Coke commercials and things like that. Or um, that uh, he's like just smoking cigarettes while walking around a swimming pool full of children and going to be the lifeguard for him. But, you know, you can tell like how much he cares about his job, which is very little. Um, but also, um, like when, when someone tells him to call out the fat kid at the swimming pool, it, there's some humor there, but also it's actually like, yeah, that, that shit happens and it stings and it hurts. And it was just, it was actually like a moment that was like, oh, wow, that's happened to me before. I I can actually feel what this kid's going through now. So, um, and that's one thing that I loved about this is like, yeah, I get to see cool things from my childhood, like Slurpees and talking about different Slurpee flavors, even though they didn't mention the actually best Slurpee flavor, which is Coke. Um, uh-huh. it, it is the best. What? It Island. is the best. <laughs> yes. Cherry is not, <laughs> cherry, cherry is not a, you know, I don't story. disagree with him. Wow! I don't Cheerios agree. I don't flavor. agree, but I don't agree, but I don't disagree. Coca Cola is the best. The best. The best Slurpee. The Slurpee flavor is Coca Cola. It's not the blue, and it's not the red. 
No, it's blue raspberry mixed with banana. Oh, why would yeah, you do you that? Blend your snippies. Uh, right, y'all, you are, y'all are fucking crazy. It's definitely cherry. Y'all, I don't know what's Island. wrong with no. any of y'all. <laughs> Everybody gets a red the Baja Blast Blast Wait, you have a banana okay. Slurpee? Dude, it's they, so uh, good. There are banana Slurpees. Yeah. Why would you do no. that? At Burger King, it's cherry or Coke. But we digress. Yeah, three hours yeah. later. <laughs> but um, I mean, it it leads up to some very interesting like character moments. I think really important character moments, and like how smartly written the season is. Like uh, you have Will, like kind of he he kind of has gotten left behind among his friends and everything, and that yeah, he's been through a lot. He's probably still trying to figure out. How can he get back to a normal life after everything he's been in? Uh, but like we start to see, like uh, Mike is with Elle, and um, and uh, Max is with is Walter. Lu- no, it's not Walter. It's Lucas. Lucas. <laughs> Walter. <laughs> what? And even Dustin's talking about Susie, and yeah. Will is just like. Dragons? Yeah. Let's play games, guys. Are we gonna get together? It's like, no, I gotta be out with my girlfriend. I gotta be out with my girlfriend. And it's like, you know, if you're ever that if you were ever that point in your life where like everybody's kind of moved on, starting trying more mature things and like experiencing different things that beyond the regular thing that your friends do time and time out. And it's just like that period of people growing up and it's a natural change that's gonna happen. It it's really impactful and it's actually really important message to actually send across, I think, to the audience because they actually sum it up really well in this big argument that Mike and Will have in the rain in his garage and everything that after the argument, Will destroys uh, Castle Byers. And I think that's like him trying to get rid of his childhood or get rid of mm-hmm. some of the immaturity in him to kind of start moving on and see how he can have a bit more of a complex, mature relationship with his friends as well. And I just love that whole moment. I think that's like one of the best moments they've done in the whole series is showing that when you're starting to become a teenager and everything that um, you're not going to hold on. It's like the first impact of not holding on to everything you've done as a kid up to that point. And it's time for something to change. And I think that was like really well story, really well done storytelling at that point. Blue, what you got? Yes, I have a couple things. Um, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> all right, first of all, uh, where do they get these kids? We said it the first season, we said yeah. the second season. Like, they're all phenomenal um, actors and actresses. Like, there's not a single one that you're like, wow, that's just a child actor. Um, They have a crazy range, too. Like, they do the comedy thing, they do the action thing, and they do, like, the drama well. And and they're all two-age. Like, they're all – they all got cast at, like, 12, you know? Now they're, what, 15-something in that range. Um, It's kind of unbelievable to watch. Uh, One thing I want to talk about without necessarily giving away my MVP, like, obviously a lot of character, the references and the writing was great. Um. The color scheming in this, and I believe I said this in one of the previous reviews, is unbelievable. And specifically, like, I think everyone gets the whole, like, you know, bright neon colors that they do really well. But the 
how they shoot dark scenes. I think every aspiring director should watch this season and like mm-hmm. learn from that. Um, I think specifically, wasn't it the third episode with Game of Thrones, the battle episode where everyone just cranked up their brightness on their TV just to see what was going on Um, in this, uh, you know, there's a lot of scenes that predominantly took place at night, but the way that they were able to back shadow, um, you know, different reds and and blues and whites behind everything so that you had a, a dark foreground and you could, but you could still clearly make out the shadows of all the characters and you could still clearly see the action. Also pretty beneficial that they didn't fall into the trope that like uh, most recently I thought Lion King went to where, you know, all of your characters look the same. Um, You know, it's like a lion fighting the exact same lion or Venom was another victim of this where it's like two. You know, they they had the luxury of having two things that looked significantly different from each other. So they didn't get bogged down in that. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, the firework fight was amazing. Again, that was a nice, unique in-universe way of having a dark scene get illuminated so that you could see everything, but still maintain that air, like the spookiness, you know, the air of spookiness. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was brilliant storytelling. It made sense in universe and it also was visually appealing and you could tell what the hell was going on. Cause I feel yeah. like uh, Marvel movies included, which I know we've praised for the most part of the last couple of years. Um, but like a lot of these films are just dark dark you can't tell anything that's going on and there's and and that's how they hide you know their action shots mm-hmm. yeah yeah the battle that that last episode the battle of starcourt was so was so good it was just like from the from the, the uh, cinematography to the directing to the throwbacks to other kind of movies we've seen like i love the whole jurassic park-esque hide from the monster situation yeah. and make noise elsewhere to get away the like you mentioned the coloring uh during the fight with the firecrackers their ability to take the like the to move from different scene to different scene different place different place but still keep a very steady and high sense of tension like it went from being in the food court uh being attacked by russian soldiers to being outside cornered by a car to being back in the food court and like hiding from a monster to being out on the road in the dark in the woods driving away from a monster to being like it, like there were so many different scenes but like the intensity stayed so throughout it was a fantastic thing I thought. Uh, well and so that was one thing that i i think this is as good as time as any um one thing i think game of thrones kind of got right uh or realized about their market was that people are now willing to sit through movies as series finales or season finales like that that was like i think 120 minutes or so i think just short of 120 minutes so that is just under two hours long i believe uh or was it minutes well, I mean, 120 it, minutes is two hours. It might have been a hundred. It might have been an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, it's an hour and 20 minutes. I got that totally wrong. We're just going to cut that whole part. Which is 80 know. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, but like, but still feature length movie, I believe is, is about an hour and a half. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, we had a near feature length movie to end this season. And I don't like I like Mocha said, I was engaged through the entire thing. One benefit that I I noticed uh, right away and anyone who's trying to tell like long form stories is that they just kicked off, you know. So imagine watching a movie that 
is just the season finale to Stranger Things, you'd have no idea where any of these motivations are coming from. But if you watch the season and then you start the quote unquote movie, you're just bought in immediately because you know exactly where they are. You know what how their emotions are together and you can literally just hit the ground running. I mean, you, you literally just explained Infinity War. And the experience right. of watching that if you're not a Marvel fan. Oh, oh no, hundred. That's I was thinking about that. Where like you literally just you start the movie with cutting off Thanos's head, and you're just like, even Infinity War though, not even the End Game. Like with Infinity War, like starting off with Thanos, who we haven't seen before except for sitting on the throne, like holding Thor's like limp body oh, and yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to Loki about all the stuff, with the ship being attacked and all that. Just like right away kicking off with 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 uh, intensity and like not not stopping from there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I mean, take note all these other like shared universe creators that, like, you gotta you gotta tell part of the story first before you tell the big stuff. Yeah, and I even kind of go off of what you're talking about here, uh, Mister Blewett, because uh, like my overall, I I really enjoyed everything about this actual sort of season. I think the biggest, along with everything that everybody's saying, yeah, I, I love those things too. I think the one thing I was really excited was to hear how they're going to change the music and make it feel familiar, but like different and new. And I really, I don't know what's the sum about this damn synthesizer, but I mean, I love everything that they're doing in this actual uh, sort of score and even the ones that aren't necessarily kind of synth based. Um, it was just very, very entertaining. Like I could probably just, I mean, I do listen to the score a lot just by itself without even watching it. But it's now to the point where I started rewatching season one through again. And I just found myself just enjoying it. And I can put this sort of like if I just take out all the words and just have the uh, instrumental in like the actual picture, it'd be great. Um, so I think the actual music itself is a bit of a, a character. I'm sure there's some fancy term that Blue is going to come up with. Like the, music, the music itself is like an actual sort of character that's not only set in tone, a set in theme, and they have mixed it so well with like the colors also feels like, yeah, that's like a darker sort of color. That's what I kind of feel from the movie, uh, from the music. So, well, Warren, it's basically a long form music video, you know, when yeah. you think about it, like yeah. they're married yeah. so well that, you know, you could have started with the song and put images to it. Yeah. They also, uh, I mean, it looks like they, I mean, definitely got spent some good money on licenses for the soundtrack too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they got Material Girl by Madonna in here and Bob which O'Reilly, is which is, Bob I mean, O'Reilly they was only used for the trailer though, right? Like, uh, no, I thought they it, threw it in one of the episodes. When was it? Cause I don't remember hearing it, but I remember, I remember it being the entire trailer and I was like, wow, they actually like licensed Bob O'Reilly just for the trailer. But like, <laughs> unless I'm wrong, like correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I don't remember hearing it at all during the actual season. What's the I thought it was the, during the. Out here in the fields. Oh, I thought it was teenage, like in the opening when they were going back to school for the first time. Or wait, uh, no, no, that because wasn't... it's happening in the summertime. Yeah, yeah they're not yeah. in school. Yeah, I mean, they did sing a really amazing. Oh, at the swimming pool, never-ending story. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, let's talk about that scene for a second because. That I mean, scene was amazing. That all. scene was awesome. That came out of so left field, like especially like we talk about an episode that's full of action and tension and everything, and to have this moment that's not only humorous but also just very this heartwarming and everything yeah. to kind of win the day is one. You find that Dustin's not 
joking or trying to make something up about Susie. Susie's yeah. a real person. Shout out to my boy Dustin for like bagging a cutie. Like I know she's like yeah. twelve, but like, uh, but for that Dustin, that's like, like a weird... good looking. That's a good looking little das, kid. Das that's... something. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the weird thing like at the beginning of the season was dustin was describing her to be like phoebe cates from uh fast times at richmond high and like if you've seen that movie you know like phoebe cates is a knockout in that movie but um but it's like yeah that's weird to describe like a 13 year old girl as phoebe cates but when you do see her she kind of looks like a young version of phoebe cates which is pretty hilarious um, but I mean, the way they set up like that, he has to sing this song to her in order to learn Plank's constant to get the code to unlock everything is just so utterly brilliant and fun all at the same time. And even though it, y'all may hate this, but personally, I'm not a fan of uh never ending story, but oh I still, I, got a, I still got a big <laughs> smile on my face when they. As soon as Dustin started singing, I was like, oh, that's great. That's never that I'm sure everybody was like, I need to play that on YouTube and probably go out and like rent it and bought that movie just because of the actual yeah. song. But it made me think of um uh uh Arena of Time when you have to like play something to yeah. unlock an actual I thought that was great. I was like, it's a very but like video game. Yeah. Exactly. And like, I was I was gonna talk a little bit about that too like it definitely felt like they they although they weren't literally playing the game anymore we talked about i think you kind of mentioned bryland of you know will necessarily kind of growing up and destroying his uh house house of byler castle buyers castle buyers uh and so how it felt like he was being immature and kind of stuck in being sort of a kid but it felt like it was just slowly sort of transitioning. So we still got, although they weren't literally playing games and talking about it, every scenario they were in was some sort of scenario that you've seen in, the, in the either some sort of video game, some co-op, some group player. You have like a horde that's happening. Like that was all of the video game tropes were still happening. So I think that was a really, really smart way to still keep that video game elements, not just make it literally a board game. You so know, I like that element of it. I somewhat disagree because I like the. I mean, the 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 80s references were great. I kind of wish that I like it when series do something at the beginning that kind of spells out how the rest of it. I loved how they made it the Demigorgon, the central challenge of their D&D campaign. Mm -hmm. And then they go and then they they literally just use the word that they know to call the monster, the monster from D&D. And so I, I would have loved to have like kind of more of an establishing. It, I guess it doesn't necessarily. Well, it mind is, because they're mind player. They, it's it, a they D&D even, they, that's they brought that up in season one and two, and now we actually see it here taking over people's bodies. Yeah, that's, but I, I don't know. I wish I wish I had, they had a little bit more of an establishing. Like, hey, this is the tone of how this is gonna gonna go. I I liked it that their campaign in season one played out kind of how the. How the how the season went, and and I could have used a little bit more of that in in episode one. Yeah, I think a reason why they did that is they do want to show these kids growing up and maturing that they're not staying in the same grade, they're not doing the same thing anymore. And I think that's one of my big wins of this season is that they show the hardships of dealing with growing up, and that yeah, even though some like D and D did establish a lot of good plot elements for the first couple seasons it might be 
time for them to start like relying on more mid to late eighties references to kind of start um, either building around the scenery and everything, but also uh, just establishing that these kids, they are definitely nerds. They love all sorts of pop culture stuff and everything, but let's start to see their taste grow too. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do have a couple of issues when it definitely seems as though they're saying that you, if you play video games or you play games, you're childish. Um, I just don't understand. Like, it feels like that's a trope that children play games, but we all know for sure that that's not the actual case. Like, I don't understand why they're sort of abandoning the fact that you can't play a board game if you're an adult. Or I, even you make a lot no, of I mean, I like that, that. That's all. That's always been like. I mean, especially for the '80s, that was like. Yeah, a, that's the thing. Like, definitely that established period, thing. Yeah, that's when like so D and D was like a decade old at this point. Um, like video games, like the NES were, uh, like the Atari were, like I mean, not a decade this, old. This same time. So like, yeah. So I feel like the then it was younger people because there were definitely older like individuals who were into this stuff, but nowadays. We all grew up with this stuff, which is why we're all adults who are into video games. Well, and I think that also is like a, it is like a trope, but it works here that you kind of are a child and then you somewhat reject your childhood in trying to like strike out as an adult and then ultimately come back around to it, you know? And so I think. I think they could have, oh, maybe they will wrap back around uh, to that theme, but I, there is definitely a teenage backlash against stuff you did as a kid, you know? Mm, yeah. yeah. And we, we, even see, we see that. In, yeah, yeah, we see and we hear that from Hopper. He kind of mentioned it a couple of times, too, of like back when they were kids. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do kind of agree with that. But, and uh, yeah, and it shows, it shows like, you know, like, hey, Will's still stuck in that mode where D&D is the most important thing. And and everyone else is kind of like, well, D and D. Um, I have a girlfriend now. You know, like I it's, can, yeah, yeah, I can kiss face. Right, right. I don't think we'll give a sh- like actually care that much about D and D itself. He definitely enjoyed D and like like D and D. Oh yeah, it's the but, but that was like that was like the yeah, it was the crux of their right. relationship as well. Right, right. Uh, which is really what I think he was grasping onto. And that's and that's everybody not else was starting to enjoy D and P. Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they are twelve. So you were just saying how good Susie looked. Don't yeah, that check. is extremely different. <laughs> both, Turn around. Both are weird. All are weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, but the, the last things I would say though is I really enjoyed and Nomoka kind of mentioned this earlier, but I really enjoyed the amount of death in this actual season. It felt like that also ramping up by like maybe under six, seven people in the first season to then a little bit more in the second season. It's like um, 50 plus. In the yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's like that ton. one building. Well, right? it was at least 30 people that were died in the fire, quote unquote, which is those were all the, the townspeople that disappeared from being played. Yeah, um, Hopper at least murdered like 50 people last season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he gets into the Russian to, uh, like hallway when the elevator opens up and um, what's his name is trying to speak Russian. And he just says, oh, come on. And he just like steps in front and just, brrr, just murders <laughs> the entire room. I, I love it. I, I was like, that's also like a sense of like, we are growing as the show grows because as it's taking higher, more lives are going to be taken. Um, so I really, 
love that fact that, you know, even the monster and how it was coming with like a, a com- combination of like infested rats that's drinking um, uh, like chemicals. Eating and fer- fertilizer like, oh, and stuff. Eating yeah. fer- like it's, I, I love it. I loved everything about that. So I, I like that it definitely kind of ramped yeah. up the horror element, especially being in the summer. I thought it was a great way to do that. Uh, but my MVP has to be Billy in this season. I I think, you know, I have a close sec- close favorite of Alexi because, man, that, that character was amazing uh, from the short time he was on screen. But Billy kind of brought almost everything that we wanted, uh, at least I was looking for in the actual season. Um, not only showed his acting chops in the Billy, but it still kind of went through a huge area of this character that we just that we didn't really see. And I'm glad sort of he died. Um, but I definitely wanted kind of more of just Billy just being super creepy and kind of weird and kind of having his different sort of like phases of being sort of scared and sort of trapped sometimes. So uh, cool. definitely I would say sort of my MVP yeah. that just kind of like definitely sort of propelled a lot of the action. Yeah. Season. And he did really well, like just acting, I mean, acting with the horror elements around him. Like that scene where basically it's the gathering, I guess, of all the people that were been flayed. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking down the steps and they start to slowly become gelatinous goop to make the monster. Oh, that's, that's gave me chills more than any horror movies given me in the, like the last three or four years. Yeah, you can see their different bones, like moving with the glob. And sometimes it would look like a femur and sometimes it would look like a jawbone, but like it was super gnarly. Yeah. But yeah. It was done really, really well. And like also seeing Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey, become a gelatinous gloop was great too. Oh god, and he got his teeth broken? That was oh, early. Yeah. When he gets hit with the fire with the fire extinguisher and then just zooms in like it focuses on his face and he's just missing like half of his like the bottom half of his front door front yeah. teeth. Uh, Go yeah. Nancy Wheeler. Love everything about Nancy it. and um Will's brother Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan. They murdered men. Yeah. Like they <laughs> They kill people like that. was really intense to me. Like uh, we've had deaths in this in this show before already, and I remember in season one being shocked at the season finale when the group of uh, like executives from this from the from the company try to stop her in the hallway, and she just lifts up her hand and breaks and like boils all their brains and just kills them all like in one shot. I remember being like, "Oh wow, that's intense that they had this little girl like murder people." And that makes sense for Eleven because she's like almost an alien esque in terms of like what she, her role in the show. They just straight up had Nancy and Jonathan like kill kill people like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, okay. Really they're surprised. they're uh, they're adult ish now. <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be I mean, like twenty. Oh, they're freshly yeah. freshly graduated from high school. No, they're freshly okay, graduated from high school. Adults to murder adults. They're, they're like eighteen. <laughs> they can be tried as adults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can. Um. Before uh, I get into my MVP or say my MVP, I did want to mention like I did like. I loved the all the new characters they added, especially like Robin. Um, just the whole setup of Steve working at this place called Scoops Ahoy, wearing a stupid uniform, and his boss is this uh, this uh, girl that's his same age, and everything is like, oh yes, Steve's getting his come up, and so he has to take orders from a girl to, <laughs> at his job now, and everything. And then just seeing like the excitement that Steve gets when Dustin finally gets home from summer camp. So it good. sees that it's him, and then they start doing a fake lightsaber fight in front of her. It's the best thing on the planet. And Robin just adds like just another dynamic that Steve can play off of. That 
he finds her ultimately like annoying at first and everything. And then when they get into these crazy adventures and this whole thing that they actually split the groups that four of them are going down into this Russian uh, laboratory and everything that I thought it was really cool because you get this group that's kind of made to be the, uh, like the inglorious bastards of them. And like we see Steve and Robin and Dustin and Erica just use their wits to get through like these heavily armed Russians and everything. And even when like Robin and Steve are being interrogated, Steve's getting the shit beat out of them, which is rough. I'm glad they don't hold back on that, but they're still like finding ways of just like treating the situation, not necessarily as a joke, but if they keep on seeing a lighter way, they can, kind of figure their way out of this which is pretty cool and it's really cool to see just uh dustin and erica being the younger kids being the ones that actually saved them too which is really neat i love the uh the uh comparison between dungeons and dragons and my little pony yeah. Like that, and and it was my, basically breaking down. Yeah, yeah, you're a nerd. The My you, Little Pony pieces. Yeah, you literally do the exact. Like, my Little Pony is the exact same thing with bright color. Like I think, like that was pretty amazing. Oh. Yeah, and like uh, Stephen Robbins' like moment in the uh, in the bathroom after in the mall after they've gotten out of the Russian base, they're still hopped up on sodium pentothal and everything. And Steve, you like you, you know, Steve's probably gonna try to do what he does is like kiss the girl, and then all of a sudden, like we get the story, Robin, that she's actually a lesbian, that she's attracted to women. And Steve, it's cool to see Steve is he doesn't really need like some type of revelation, or he's not repulsed by. It. He's just like, oh, that. I mean, why were you attracted to that person? They're they're not really that well, cool of a person. <laughs> really, I really love that scene because it felt like that was something they were like pushing and pushing for them to get together. And they had like definitely a bit of like kind of a red herring of is this is going to happen and how like she was talking about you didn't even notice me. But I really love that moment because it happened so quickly when the information dropped and he finds out it's not was uh, like she wasn't interested in him at all. And then he just goes to his completely acceptance as if it, that's the completely acceptance. Like, oh, okay, that's something that I really enjoy. Is it a stretch? Why, how people necessarily believe in the eighties? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but I really enjoyed the fact that it was like kind of an immediate sort of reaction to, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and then they end up just going off and being found by uh, Dustin. Yeah, it probably doesn't reflect a USA Today poll in the 80s, but it definitely feels believable because it's just these two people that have been through a lot of stuff and they're at a very intimate moment right now. What you got, Mogo? Um, Yeah, like the biggest thing for me was that the charisma for the actors in this show is absolutely through the roof. I like blue you kind of mentioned this earlier where you're like where do they get these kids um for me though it's like i don't know how they write these characters to just feel so uh like like they all make sense to be be together interacting with each other they're all like very different in so many different ways especially when you look at um like will byer's mom and hopper like those two characters are extremely different and even though most of their scenes together are them young at one another and like butting heads 
like the characters kind of make sense interacting with each other and the um i can't remember his name but the guy that they from season two who in this season they get us the russian translator like oh the conspiracy uh, theorist yeah super unique character has no business to be for us to have watched him spend like the the later four episodes of this show with hopper and uh, mrs byers uh but he still works like thrown into that mix all the kids, the way they interact with each other, just like the charisma is crazy, and I, I love it. It, it. It's really enjoyable to watch these characters interact with each other. Um, the I like Warren mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I really love the escalation of violence for this series. Um, like season three, they definitely took it up there. There was a whole lot of gun violence. There was a whole lot of like like young people murdering grown adults in self defense, uh, which like. <laughs> Like usually, like you'd you'd go into something like this and expect them to get away because they like they run away and they get out the stairwell and close the door and the creatures are like reaching through the door trying to grab them and they while they run off. But no, it's like it ended with like Nancy uh, shoving like a pair of scissors into uh, some guy's throat or or bashing his face in with uh, you know fire extinguisher to eleven crushing three soldiers with like a flung car. And a, like like they those those bodies went flying like they were ragdolls. Um, even the mind flayer just like popping bodies from his uh, followers and like absorbing their bones and guts into his body. Uh, it was just like it was very very intense uh, in terms of the uh, like physical like kind of the gore and just like the, the overall maturity of it. Uh, and also speaking of the mind flayer, I thought he was dope. The physical yeah. the physical version of the mind flayer was a really really cool intimidating villain. Um, I love that we got so many, we got multiple encounters with him that it wasn't just wait until the last episode and then he shows up to fight. Like, I like that we got to see him, uh, like the bodies of the two guys that were killed in the hospital merged together into a tiny little like mind flayer soldier that he was controlling to go after them. I like that it then escalated to the mind flayer doing the Thanos thing and saying, screw it, I'll do it myself. And going after them and having that like mini boss fight in the cabin where it was the tentacles coming at them from different angles. And then he burst through the roof and they like Eleven tore his face in half and then for them to get run away, like leading up to him, like gathering more bodies and then attacking them in the Starcourt Mall for the big finale. Like there were like there were really cool stages to their interactions with this villain. And I felt the rivalry between him and Eleven, which is bizarre because the mind flare is just like a monster. <laughs> like he doesn't have like, yeah. he doesn't really talk. He talks through Billy, but like he doesn't actually talk. And so to actually get that sense of rivalry between your main character, the main heroine who doesn't talk much and this monster that just like screams and roars, I thought was really, really excellently like orchestrated and choreographed throughout this entire season. Did, did they reference the thing? The thing, like, also the blob. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I kind of wish they did a little bit more with that, where they had, like, you know, the Mind Flare characters interact with the, the main cast, you know, and not have that question of, like, oh, are they real or are they replaced? Um, not really a ton to do with what you just said, Mocha, but kind of remind me of that. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. I, I think one of the other, like, mini boss battles you were talking about is, the sauna scene when it was basically the gang uh, and the uh, the gang versus sort of Billy and 
getting that... standing behind 11. Paul 11. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they all contributed. No, they it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just her. But the fact that it was like 11 versus Billy at that point, and she really got to the point where she like powered up and threw him through a brick wall. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I have never seen, I didn't, I didn't see that come. And he just, woke up, he just got up unfazed and was like, oh shit, that, so this is going to come back. So I like that there was like stepping points. Like he was saying that it slowly kind of got bigger and bigger to the point where Eleven lost her powers, which I'm curious to talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was really a gang. Everybody had to kind of rally to, to kind of fight together. So that was actually really, really cool. My favorite thing about the Billy versus Eleven fight was that the moment where I realized that the season was kind of upping the stakes and making things more intense was when she threw the, uh, the barbell at him and kept pushing the barbell, which was pinned against his neck, through the brick wall. And I was like, oh my God, is like Eleven going to like chop off Billy's head like right here, like in like episode four? Um, uh, but yeah, no, it was just like the, the intensity of that, of that scene, that fight was, was just really cool in general. Um, yeah, I don't mind jumping forward and talking about this, but I think we should discuss what, how we, what we think about Eleven losing her powers because I personally see it as a plot point that makes, that was like the logical conclusion of, really of this show in general but i feel like it, they just threw it in at the episode they threw it in just to have the added stakes of okay 11 is no longer a participant in the final battle against the mind player like it didn't feel like it made sense like all she did the last thing she did before she lost her powers was she pulled that little grub out of her leg which like you know was an intense scene and she's strained to get it out of her you can imagine that's probably holding on for dear life inside her leg after uh like what's his name jonathan was digging inside her Ooh, her leg with that his was fingers. so was brutal super Love gnarly yeah super gnarly but like that act of her pulling that thing out and tossing it like that was a thing that made her that finally like push her too far where she lost her powers it wasn't the moment where she grabbed the mind flare by the head and tore him in half like there were so many other cool moments where she could where you could have said oh she over exerted herself here um and I felt like it's believable enough in the season, but I felt it felt like it was just thrown in just to get that plot point. In. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely pushing herself to the limits, especially like the whole thing going into. I guess you went into Billy's mind. In way. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet that was like probably the biggest strain that she probably had on herself in the whole season. Yeah, I guess it was cu- cumulative. But does it is it like she ran out of ammunition, or can she just not do it anymore? Well, it's been three, like the, the final, the time skip at the end of the last episode is three months and she right. still can't use her abilities. So, right. so I'm sure she's going to get her powers back, but like, I think they're trying to give the, the sense that she tapped herself out. But it's so, it's, it's weird. Cause you're right. It wasn't like a big enough moment. It almost feels like, like a series, uh, series finale, you know, where she loses it, has to fight using friendship and, you know, ingenuity rather than pure like mental power um Mm. and then she retires and then the you know goes to black and that's the end of the show you know like it 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 feels like a trope that you don't necessarily do with seasons remaining yeah and i was very bought in like when she lost her powers and the mind flare was defeated and i saw that there was a time skip and that they were moving away and all this stuff like i bought into the notion like oh this was the end this is the end of the story they completed it. Maybe the Death Bros are going to go on and do something else. But then we get the post credit scene with the Demogorgon being back. And I was like, okay, so they're obviously going for season four, which I'm fine with. 
But why did he go so far out of your way to make it feel like, like you just said, Blue, like a season finale or um, series finale? Excuse me. I, I felt like, and I don't, I don't know if it's like a bad thing, but I felt like the main reason she like lost her power and didn't get it back had to do with some sort of like connection to sort of Hopper or they basically chose her powers to go away so that she doesn't necessarily kind of look for Hopper in that time. Because if she had her powers, she'd probably find it to see if he's alive or not. Um, I don't know. It felt like it had something to do with the connection to Hopper. And or it could be... She, uh, she, didn't, she just like hasn't been that happy anymore. Like That part of her brain is now locked away or shut away. Um, maybe her... I mean, maybe her powers are exclusively linked to the uh, Upside Down. And like we know how the Mind Flayer is like the main baddie in the Upside Down. That killing him kind of negates her powers in a way maybe. but she didn't they yeah. didn't kill him no they just closed the gate but yeah. also we know that there must be a yeah. gate open somewhere because there's a demagurgan chilling in russia well it doesn't have to be open for that one that unless one they shipped alive. it over to russia no, no but the, the the gates were open while that in while the demagurgan existed in season one there was no demagurgan in season two there were the demodogs no, de- dem- no that was a demodog that wasn't that was, was that a demodog or demagurgan no at the end it was a demagurgan he stood up on his on his on his two legs it was, yeah, it was a demogorgon. It wasn't a doll. Oh, I thought it was a doll. Yeah. Okay. He crawls out through the hole, but then he just stands up and like like unfurls a flower, and you see it's a demogorgon. I mean, they did even talk about there was a flash forward in the beginning when Russia tried to open the gate and everybody pulled the kind of up. So that was a flashback. Yeah, it was a flashback. flashback. That was like their first attempt to open the gate. Oh, yeah, sorry. What I meant to say, flash forward is uh, season three. We started, and it was a flash forward to the current time that we're in right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yes, mm. yes, yes. It was a flash. Um. So I, but we know that there's another machine. It just wasn't successful the first time. No, but that was the one that they blew up. That was the one that was under the mall. No, that was in Russia. No, the one that they showed beginning? in the in the beginning is the That's same the one under the mall. That's the same team that was working on it. Alexi oh. was in that original flashback. That's why Alexi knows I about... I thought there was two gates. Didn't he say something about being two gates? Yeah, because there was a second gate. The they were talking about the gate that was in the power plant in Hawkins. Two. Yeah. yeah, that was the other the American's gate. The Russian gate was under the mall, and no one knew that, there was, that the Russians were there. But the Russians did it there because the Americans successfully opened the gate. And so they wanted to recreate which also adds its own issues because, like, it's unlikely that the Russians would be able to come in and build this whole underground bunker after discovering that the Americans were able to do so in their own bunker, which was like maybe like eight miles away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, super close. But that's pretty uh, terrible counter, uh, you know, espionage. Yeah, the if FBI you was this... busy uh, planning planning crack in uh, in the in the ghetto at that time. But <laughs> <laughs> um. Just to go back to the actors real quick, I would say like my MVP of this uh, season is Hopper um, it, with everything that we said before. But also, uh, David Harper is just a very good actor and he's able to just pull off some really good comedy, but also drama at the same time. I mean, I love that. I love his talk with Mike and uh, L for when, they're, when he's having the talk with them. I love when um, he's having to deal with Alexi and how does he actually win over Alexi's trust, whether it's like throwing the keys out of the door or things like that. But um, also the 
I mean, the amount this guy smokes, but is also able to carry on conversations while he's holding the cigarette, like just straight up perfectly in his mouth. And it's not to the side or anything. That's ridiculous. No one else has that talent or skill to be able to pull that off. And that's like the sign of a really good actor. So David Harbour, Hopper, you're the MVP of this season. Let's you mean David Hopper. I was like, that's hilarious if you just called him David Hopper. <laughs> uh, it. who's your MVP? Uh, Steve, it's the hair. Love it. He has great hair. Um, one thing before, because like I don't have a ton to say on like predictions, um, but can we just talk about the temporal setting for a second? Did did, yeah. did anyone have major like Fourth of July exactly. childhood moments? Oh yeah, for me it was dogs, burgers. It wasn't as big of a thing, honestly. The end of the summer, because like we we alluded to this earlier, where it's kind of weird that it came out over the Fourth of July weekend, and I I, th- I think they didn't do enough of a job of like really driving home. Besides, like, the whole end battle with the fireworks. But the fireworks are illegal in Indiana anyway, so it's not not that special. Um, like, driving home the whole, like, American holiday part of it. It felt weird, because horror movies you expect to be in the fall, right? October, specifically. Um, so if you're going to break that tradition, it, it almost seems like do it for m- more of a reason. Like, almost the kids going back to school and having like a week left of their summer for me was always a bigger deal because it was like, Oh crap, I got to fit my entire summer into one week because school sucks. And it starts in, you know, seven days. Anyway, that's Fourth of July was always huge for me. Like, I mean, we'd have big barbecues and everything and yeah. Parades and uh, yeah. Like there was the huge uh, fair that you wanted went to as well to like play like fair games or ride rides and stuff like that. So it was definitely very relatable to me. Um, and I thought it was pretty neat to actually say, let's choose the most American of holidays and put up all this red, white, and blue. And then your bad guy are Russians right below you. So I thought that was a good juxtaposition for it. Yeah. I Fourth of July was a big holiday for me growing up, but I never went to fairs. Like outdoor fairs like that were very much something for the um like the summer in general. But like on Fourth of July in Long Island in my neighborhood, we would just like hang out in our front yard and the neighbors, all the neighbors would have the Pennsylvania bought a bunch of fireworks a few weeks ago and then just spent the entire day on our street shooting off fireworks of our own. And you'd see fireworks all around you because, like, other neighborhoods are doing, you know, on the other side of the trees. Um, but it was never like we went to a big festival for the 4th of July or we went to a party for the 4th of July. My dad barbecued in the backyard. Everyone's, like, every every house is kind of shot off fireworks in their front yard. Right? And that was more or less it. It wasn't really a thing for me at all, really. So um, if we did something, we did something. But it really it never really became a thing, I think, until college. And so that was, like, super late. Yeah, I'm more on the Warren side. We didn't have like anything too crazy going on. So, but as like a kid holiday, it, it, there was bigger summer things you probably could have gone with to drive home, you know, that whole like evolution of school. Summer camp. 
Yeah. 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 Sorry, just w- one more little, like, thing before. Uh, as far as, like, going forward with this, man, they got to wrap this thing up. Those kids are getting old. Especially when they did the flashbacks to them in the first season. Like, and then compared immediately to them, you know, in the present day. It's like, ooh, these kids are going to have beards. You know, they're going to have hipster mustaches in, like, a season or two. <laughs> you know, they're going to be... <laughs> well, Lucas already has a mustache, doesn't he? Oh, no, it's it, like it's getting real close. Um, also, one thing going forward, I wish um, I kind of wish that we could get back to a small se- like small season again. It seems that every year they've like somewhat grown the main cast by two to three characters, whereas that one of the brilliance of that first season was that it was basically, you know, two groups of people and a CGI monster um, and really love those interpersonal relationships in that first season um, that I think it suffered in season two when they expanded the cast. Now they're able to overcome that with some really good writing uh, and the third one. And even though they made the cast bigger again, um, but I would love to see one more just like core four 11 and then, you know, one or two parents um, Steve included because he is a honorable parent um, For sure. and, and, you know, versus a monster. Yeah, I think I'd also agree with you on there, Blewett. I uh, I am getting a bit nervous that anytime they start introducing a lot of characters, they're going to kill them off pretty quickly, and it feels like the character is kind of short-lived, um, or we didn't really get enough of it. So I really hope they don't go on like an absolute sort of killing spree uh, in the next particular season for main characters that we all know. But at least I really hope they kind of tie back um, a bit of the other, you know, 10, I think we talked a little bit about some of them, but the other sort of powered sort of individuals that we got a little bit in sort of abandoned that storyline. So that's probably the the only thing that I kind of add for that. Mocha, what do you got for your MVP? You know, I went back and forth on this one, but I got to say that my MVP in honor of the 4th of July, because you know you cannot spell America without this name, is Erica, Lucas's little sister. Um, that character I expected fully for all seasons of this show to just be like the annoying contrarian little sibling voice that would interact with Lucas every now and then when, for whatever reason, we got to see what the inside of this home looked like. But she actually came into her own as a full-fledged character this season, had a completely different personality than any of the other characters we'd gotten. And wound up being extremely entertaining. Every interaction with Erica, once she got past ringing the bell and demanding that the lady come and like serve her ice cream, and she actually became a proper character with motivations and thoughts and feelings, I thought she was great. She was super funny. The little girl that they hired to play her role was great. And uh, I felt like that sort of character development this season took her past being just like, uh, where's like the sassy black woman in this in, who in in this in this show? Like that's what she was until this season, and now she's actually a proper character that I am really excited to see involved in their future escapades, uh, mm-hmm. most likely unwillingly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we talked a lot about the characters, and we talked about our overall vision of how we actually enjoyed the actual season and things that we may didn't enjoy. Uh, then we give a little bit of sort of kind of future pro- um, projections of where we think the story may go. So I'll toss it over to beautiful Brylan. Brylan, 
Uh, we're going to go into a little bit of conclusions. Would you recommend Stranger Things 3? And if not, what's something else that's out on TV right now that you would tell people to watch? Uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend Stranger Things uh, Season 3. It's definitely the best season of this series. And like a lot of what y'all mentioned before, uh, I kind of wish this was the final season uh, because it feels like a complete full circle of what this story is about, what these kids are about. Uh, but if there has to be a continuing season, a season four, um, maybe they'll have um, able to do something like uh, have Susie move to Hawkins. That would be fun to see. Or um, take a risk and kill a child in the next that's that's not 11 general general advice (laughs) no but like what are those main core characters um it has to be will right i i would say will or maybe uh i would say get 11 surprise or that'd be crazy they'd have to deal with dustin they'd have to deal with uh their problems without their powered friends Mm. yeah i mean but they kind of already did that just just rehashing I mean, killing off Mike would be killing off Mike would be probably the most great. logical yeah. choice, I think. Um, but also, I hope like help. as what was that? That could be a way. Well, I mean, like I'm having, I get my theory cap on. If they kill Mike, could that be like the trigger in Eleven's brain to get her powers back? Yeah, that like, makes sense. Yeah. If it happens, give me money. <laughs> But uh, hopefully, uh, since they're moving into the late 80s, they, they do a Beetlejuice reference. I think that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Like, especially if they go see Beetlejuice and then they make some odd reference to uh, Mrs. Byers about it, too. I think that'd be funny. That Oh, man. I would, I would love nothing more than that. <laughs> I love nothing more than that. Oh, man, that'd be so cool. Cool. Uh, what do you think, Mr. Blewett? Yeah, definitely recommend it. It's still slightly under season one for overall enjoyment. Like for me, that completely blank slate, I'll just never, we'll never get back, you know, Um, because they are continuing to build on lore, but it's lore they've established. Whereas in the first one, you had zero expectations. It was just Winona Ryder running around like a mad woman looking at lights on the wall. And that, that was a completely unique experience. Uh, but it was still super enjoyable. I, I whipped through this thing in pretty much like, I don't know, 12 hours or so. I took a couple breaks to sleep for a little bit. But like, oh, yeah, it was, it was super fun. Nice. Cool. Mocha? Yeah, I can't recommend this uh, enough. Um, if you enjoyed Stranger Things as a whole for the first season, then this is definitely just more of what you love about it. Um, I'm one of those people out there who actually enjoyed the second season. I would never say that the second season was superior to the first. I think it's it's mar- it's objectively inferior, but I didn't think it was bad. Um, but this season definitely felt like a return to form. Uh, it brought us back to everything we loved about these characters and how they interact with each other while still giving us new things, like separating half the cast from each other throughout the entirety of the season. Um, and I'm looking forward to whatever nonsense they bring up with season four, even though uh, it felt like a good ending here. Mark, so... Mark my words, I'm looking forward to what's coming, but uh, I'm going to say that, that the Mind Flayer is Stranger Things Frieza. Like, mm. this was, like, <laughs> the proper end fight against, like, the head boss, and they should have just ended it here. But they're going to keep going, and it's going to get a little, like, like uh, repetitive and kind of flame. 
Um, Unless they go to the upside down and kill it. Yeah, they that's have to the, go to the upside down. That's they're going to have to go to the upside down next. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. yeah, yeah. Or the Russians build their own mind player, like uh, Cell, an inferior Soviet <laughs> mind player. mind player, you. That is like the name of my punk band. It's just uh, inferior Soviet, Soviet, mind Soviet mind player. <laughs> it should be. It sounds like a Slipknot song. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, um, but definitely, like, if you ever liked any of Stranger Things, don't hesitate. Turn on Netflix and watch the show. It's it's good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more uh, with everything that everybody's saying for right now. I'm super pumped up for season four, especially because Chernobyl happened around that time. If all time frames kind of tracks out. And it'll be pretty amazing if they kind of meshed both of these stories together. I know we talked about watching Beetlejuice and stuff. Me and Brylin mentioned this a little bit and we chatted like offline, but around the same time as Chernobyl happening, this could necessarily kind of track to that story. And I think it'll be absolutely great. So the challenger explosion. Yeah. Listen, like (laughs) what, what causes that explosion to happen and what kind of releases out of it? Like we need a prequel season uh, where we find out that the Titanic was really due to a uh, mind flare. <laughs> <Our mindset. laughs> uh, yeah, but I absolutely love the season. And um, I think just like everybody else, I binged watch it um, in one night and it was amazing. It was a long night, but it was amazing. Yeah. And with that, we have been the Down to Front Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for joining. Beautiful Brylin, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brylund, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Sorry, I don't have any witty comeback right now. Just can't think of one. Uh, you can also find me posting many movie and TV reviews on Instagram at I am Brylund. Mr. Blue, where can people find more of your work on the interwebs? You can find me on the interwebs at uh, My News Music or My News Band. At most major platforms, check us out. We've got music on Apple Music, Spotify, um, as well as other places like MySpace. Napster. <laughs> Is that Napster uh, or MySpace? Napster. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of kids don't know what that is. Um, also, you can check us out at uh, we have a self help parenting book um, called the uh, Keep It Three Inches. Um, Jesus Christ. Jesse, it's written by Jesse Rand. <laughs> okay, good. It's uh, the best, best practice. Wait, isn't that Jesse's second book about his three inches? The first one, the first one's actually about how he got the kids. The second one's keeping the kids in order. Hey, Mocha, where can you find people your work on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter post- posting audio samples of me uh, singing acapella versions of 80s movies classics at Mocha Mike L-I as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. The person who owns that username has become part of a greater uh, alien hive mind collective and was turned into nothing but guts and bones before he could hand over the password. Uh, So unfortunately, I'll still be at Mocha Mike L-I. You can also find me on Instagram at Mocha Mike where I post my photography work and at Medium, at Mocha Mike as well, uh, where you can find some of the longer form reviews that I've done of uh, movies that we talk about here. And check out Overwork at downinfrontpodcast.com, where you're going to get a bunch of our videos, our teaser videos, as well as our information blogs and who we are. 
we have our partnerships up there. We have friends with blends. We got to have even more information for our last calls, our fear boners, and my industry music and my band. So definitely go check that out. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Reddit. Just about almost every sort of social platform. Definitely go check us out. That's just downinfrontpodcast.com. Want to give a special shout out to Spotify. We actually are on Spotify. And that is actually really, really cool that we have the ability to stream um, our episodes, especially because not many people tend to like the uh, podcast app with Apple. Yeah, um, too. I don't so, I hate it. There you go. So if you're on Spotify, definitely find us, follow us. Uh, we'll definitely be posting and I'll get into a bit of a regular schedule from now on. So thanks so much, everybody. Beautiful Brylin. What's our next recording going to be? Uh, we're going to keep with the kids theme. Uh, this movie coming up, it's not about dogs, but we're seeing good boys. What is that movie? I don't even remember voting on that. Yeah. I don't uh, well, I'll just tell you this from the makers of Superbad and. Oh, Apple. yeah. Oh, dude, it looks mad funny. I saw a it commercial does. accidentally for it and it looks wicked funny. I saw the Red Band trailer. I can't wait. Yeah. it's right. It looks like a, an hour and a half of ridiculousness, but not featuring oh. Rob Deerdick. Okay. Dang. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Bye.